This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say, what's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half time, but I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. See you later. The Wednesday week is sponsored by Michael Constantine Wealth Management. We bet you can't find a financial advisor closer to Hillsborough Stadium. Record, and I'm going to say, uh, it says we're live on Facebook. Good evening and welcome to another Lockdown Live. Uh, my name's Dan Fudge, and we've got Simon and we've got Ben. And if you look down to the bottom there, we've got uh, Irish battling midfielder, Mr. James O'Connor has joined us this evening. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight, James. A uh, absolute pleasure to uh, to have you on, sir. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, looking forward to it. Now, I would like to, or we would like to talk to you about your time with, uh, with Sheffield Wednesday, but, uh, but as usual, Ben will have done his homework to talk about your career prior. So uh, I'm going to hand over to Ben right now, and, uh, and you go, Ben. I have done my usual research. Um, <laughs> so you started off at Stoke, James. So how was that moving over from Dublin to Stoke at, what, like 16, 17? Yeah, I mean, obviously, a big move to to um, a get the opportunity, but it was something I was determined to to do. Um, so obviously, left. Um, I have three younger brothers, so I left my family and younger brothers and went across and sort of battled away at, at Stoke. Um, got into the uh, youth team, then into the reserve team, and then eventually into into the first team. So yeah, it was um, you know a tough experience at that age to leave home, but obviously one that I, I ended up really enjoying and was lucky enough to go on and have a career from. You started off quite well at Stoke as well and had good times as a squad as well as yourself personally. Um, yeah, it went all downhill after that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was great. I mean, the first year, I think, as, as a youngster coming into the team, it was um, it was obviously a challenge. Um, and Gary Megson, actually, he was the one that gave me my debut and I have, I have great respect for, for Gary. Um he ended up sort of um, giving me my first run in the uh, in the team, and sort of first year I think there was nine goals, second year ten goals. So went from a, a goal scorer midfielder to then all of a sudden thinking that you know it wasn't as important to get into the box, and you know it was. Um, it's interesting because as the journey you go on as a player, you you look back on, you start doing your coaching licenses, and you start to see the game completely differently, and just the different phases of life that you uh, you go through and how that impacts your your career. Did you ever did you ever think to yourself, you know what, like you say, as you get into coaching, do you ever look back and think, wow, I was a pain in the ass? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I mean, as you know, I mean, for me, it was, I didn't have a lot of real sort of natural talent. For me, it was a case of, listen, you need to get in and it's, it's you know, you need to stop your opponent from playing. Um, that was the biggest thing for me was, you know, the better players that we're playing against was to put them to sleep, you know, basically make sure that they have no or little impact on the game and then candidly give the ball to, to the players who could play, you know, <laughs> let them get at it, you know. So um, uh, it, it was something that, you know, coming from Ireland, I think you, you get brought up in, in intensity to life. You want to be determined. And I, I sort of took that with me and then got stuck in and, and tried to, to fight as much as I possibly could. But, uh, you know, I look back on it. Certainly, I started doing my coaching licenses probably 22, 23. Um, and then you get to, you know, probably 27, 28, you start to rise. So at that point, I'd, I was finishing the A license, getting ready to do the pro license. So you, your, your understanding of the game becomes a lot more as you do them licenses. But in the self-awareness piece, because as a coach, you start to see the game through different light. You start to go, well, hang on a second. Some of this stuff I can't actually do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sit there thinking, where was I telling me to do this yeah. 10, 15 years ago? You know what I mean? Go on, Simon. Exactly. So, so it was Stoke to West Brom, was it not? Was it, was it West Brom you had a year at, at the Baggies? Did yeah no I mean um, got a, a wonderful opportunity to to go to West Brom and um, again you know first year went first half of the season went from a result standpoint went well um, fell out of the team just after Christmas and then we ended up getting promoted um, to the Premier League which was fantastic you know huge achievement um, and then literally you know probably had a great preseason actually that year and then got on the bench a couple of times but. I wanted to play. I was never a player who was happy sort of just being in the squad. Uh, you know, I, for me, it was, I always wanted to play. Uh, I had a real passion for uh, for coaching and playing. And, um, you know, Gary was good. Gary makes me let me go out on loan to Burnley. And that presented another opportunity and then ended up sort of um, signing for Burnley. Um, had a few years there um, and then got a great opportunity to come to, to Sheffield Wednesday, which I, I couldn't obviously turn down. I was, going to ask about, I was going to ask you about that in regards to because um, you, you'd obviously done really well at Burnley and, and I know you'd won player of the season, one of the seasons there at, at, at Burnley. But and you were coming up to the end of your contract and I think they'd offered you another contract, hadn't they? But you, you came to Wednesday and said, what, what sort of swayed you towards coming to Hillsborough? I think for me, the, the beauty of the football club, when you look at the history that's there, you look at the fan base, the passion that the, the supporters have, um, I felt as if I'd, because I can remember I, it was Owen Coyle who I have a lot of respect for as well. There was, they'd offered a contract at the end of the season. I was, I was actually doing a coaching license at the time. And I was saying, look, I'm going to need some time because I was committed to the coaching license. And um, met Brian Laws, had a really great conversation with with um, with him, and then went into the stadium, saw the the stadium, the behind the scenes, and I just felt it was the right the right time to uh, to make a move, and, and certainly the opportunity to join such a historic club was something I was very very passionate about. Yeah. It's a uh, it's it's a weird period that you played for us, James, because the, you know we went through every emotion going while while you were mm. in the team I think I think didn't we I mean yeah. you've seen you've seen Hillsborough when it's at its absolute best and you've seen it when it can be a real toxic mire I mean you know <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, mean what's that like? Well, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, the the highs for me when I look at, at the um, the I would say the, the Sheffield Derby, where we obviously we we beat them. We did a double over them for the first time, and it was ninety something years, um, which was phenomenal, you know. And then even then, I'll still, because my son was actually, I always remember we, on the Friday we went. Um, Lizzie said, "Look, we have to stay in the hotel." So there was about six of us that were staying in the hotel. Um, so we get a call. Well, I get a call from my wife saying, "Look, she was due um, with our first. So she said, "Look, um, I'm actually in the hospital. Um, my waters are, are broken, you know." looks like you're going to have to, to get back. Um, now, the game was 12. It was either 12 or 12.30, and I'll never forget it. And I was like, okay, well, we've got the Sheffield Derby tomorrow at, like, 12. I'm thinking, is it, we have a chance now to do the double over Sheffield. So I said, babe, I said, is there a doctor there? And she said, uh, well, there's a nurse. I said, great, put the nurse on. So I said, listen, I said, uh, <laughs> I'm in Sheffield. I said, we've got a game here tomorrow. I said, you know, you need to do your best just to keep her relaxed. I said, and I'll be back over there tomorrow at about 3, 3.30 after the game. So she came back on, my wife, and she's like, so, well, like, when are you coming? I said, well, babe, I said, look, I'll be over there tomorrow at 3, 3.30. I said, we'll be grand. <laughs> and thanks be to God, like, he never, Ollie never came. But she spent the night in hospital, and then I drove uh, normally we would get the, the coach across to, to Bramall Lane and uh, I drove my car, the club were great, they, they left a, um, a car park pass and it was a great game, I mean really fen- phenomenal for us with the, the Wednesday nights there as well and we, so we beat them, did it double great but then I'm thinking well I need to get out of here, <laughs> I, need to, I need to get over because we were living over uh, near Warrington so then it was literally, it was like beeline to the car and then try to get out of, uh, of the city centre. But of course, I'm on their car park in my club tracksuit, and then I'm trying to drive through their fans <laughs> to get to Warrington. So obviously I'm trying to keep my head down and trying to keep a low profile, you know. But for the grace of God, thankfully, I managed to, to get out of there and, and get over to the hospital. But of course, I get there, and then Amy was like, well, like, you know, you won the game, fantastic, she said, but what would you have done if, if our son would have come? And I just said, well, look, I said, it's 3.30, I said, and there's still no sign of him coming, we've got loads of time, we've got to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he didn't come for another 12 hours, so it all no. worked out, but yeah, Back to spare. incredible that. I tell you, I yeah, tell you what, I don't know, I don't know much about uh, about about you know kids and and how they get how they get born and things. You know what I mean? I, I didn't listen in that class, but I know that if you want to induce it, it's either sex or a hot curry. So did you turn up with a madras or something like that? Did you did you feel like yeah? Or did you have to lay on the sword later on that night? You know what I mean? Go on, Ben. No, I was just. Um... Before we talk more about Wednesday, when you said about West Brom and getting promoted, you'd have played in the same team as Darren Moore then, I'd imagine. Yeah, no, I know Morrow. Uh, he's a great lad. Delighted to see him get the opportunity. Um, fantastic. I think he's, he's done a wonderful job um, at West Brom and then also at, at Doncaster. So, um, phenomenal character. And, you know, I think he will do a great, great job. I really do. And I know it's, it's tough at the minute and there's a battle to be had, but... Um, Absolutely cannot speak highly enough of, of Moro, his character and his his understanding of the game. I mean, actually, he was he was on the pro license years ago as well. Um, so he's he spent a lot of time educating himself, and um, yeah, he's a he's a really really um, 
shrewd football brain. So I think Wednesday are in good hands with, with Morrow. Well said. Right. So if you go back to the back to the, the two um, derbies that we played that season, which we, we beat them twice. Um, had you played in any sort of game like that before? We asked this a lot of our, uh, our ex-players in regards to the derby games. Had you played in anything with that sort of atmosphere before? Uh, at your other clubs, or was that just something very, very yeah, new? The, 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 the intensity of that was was different, I have to say. I mean, the, the rivalry between Stoke and Port Vale is, is pretty intense. You've got Burnley Preston, Burnley Blackburn as well, but but I have to say the intensity of of those games was, was very, very high, definitely different. Um, you know, you could tell there was a real... Um, I won't use the word hatred, but I think it was it was close to it. It was I think you could definitely see that there was um you know, and they were just phenomenal games to play in. I mean the build up to the games themselves were just you know, for every player, they're the type of games that you want to be involved in and you want to uh, you want to play. Um and I, I think it just it, it's you know, you look back now with such fond memories of those games. I mean the just the build up to it, the intensity, the rivalry, just yeah, phenomenal. Normal experience. I, t- I tell you what, then, James, talk to us about some of your colleagues. I mean, you've mentioned Gary Megson. Uh, you know, uh, by the sounds of it, you you, <laughs> you seem to follow him around everywhere you went at some point. Uh, you just <laughs> yeah. uh, everywhere yeah. he wants to, there, there turns up Mego. I mean, did he did he take <laughs> you to the back of the cop? Did he? Uh, Stephen Bywater mentioned that uh, that was something that he actually did. Did he? Uh, you know, what was he? What was he like to play for? Because you played under what Alan Irvine. Uh, yeah, Gary Megson and, and Brian Laws was the one that brought you, who then ironically went the other way to Burnley after that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, exactly. That's so exactly is, yeah. t- tell no, us I mean, about the, the differences with the gaffers. The, and the, the big players. thing with, um, with, um, with Gary Megson, I think, is, you know, I was there at Stoke. He was appointed. Great respect. He gave me an opportunity. He took me to West Brom. Um, didn't quite work out and then um, I was at Wednesday and then he got the, the job at Wednesday and I always knew Wednesday was was his club I mean he would speak even at Stoke he was he would speak about Wednesday you know and West Brom but like Wednesday is the history that um, his dad has and, and he has at the club I mean he is definitely a big big Wednesday I you know and I was family um, were, were huge supporters and, and the club meant so much to him it really did I think he was determined to bring success to the club because of I would say his love for the club um, so it was a real and he's a very passionate guy as well I mean very very intense um, and wants to, to get the best out of people um, I think Alan obviously when he came in he'd um, come from perhaps uh, uh, an environment where he'd been oppressed and he'd been David Moyes' right-hand man, very, very detail-orientated, um, very big on coach education, uh, was excellent to me as regards just trying to, um, at that point, I was always asking questions. Harold, Wilson, uh, Harold Wilkinson was the, the chairman as well at the time, and um, the, between them, I think they were able to get me on the pro license. So always grateful for for the opportunity to to learn because they again such a um, between both of them. I mean, incredible mind, uh, football mind and football brain to um, to be able to learn from. Um, and then obviously with with Lazy, I mean, again, difficult situation with the ownership and the the potential takeover. I think there was. There were so many talks of, well, it could happen, it could happen. And um, it was a, a difficult time, really, for, for the supporters as well, because I think at that point it was a, it was a case of there was so much um, 
hope really that there was going to be a benefactor that would come in and really kick things on. And, you know, unfortunately, even going back to, to that time, it's um, the investment really that the club needed then to be able to go and, and, and give them an opportunity. I think just it, it never fully materialised. That's interesting. So I, I, what I was going to pull a thread out with, with Brian Laws and, and Alan Irvine, was that you work with them at a period where their Sheffield Wednesday career started to wane, as does, you know, every football manager job. There are very few nowadays that doesn't fall to bobbins towards the end of their time with the club. That's why it's their end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you feel that Brian Laws and Alan Irvine, they're not the most charismatic of people uh, compared to what Gary Megson would be with his badge tapping and all the rest of it. Do you feel mm. that they lost the dressing room a little bit after a while and the and their knowledge about football didn't, carry us through no I mean I, I think uh, they were both very passionate but I think in, in different ways I think in, in, when you look at different personalities you, you have somebody like, uh, like like Gary who's very sort of heart on your sleeve shows a lot of emotion shows a lot of intensity um, Alan I think would have equal amount of intensity but perhaps show it in different ways I mean many time my god Alan would be there you know 10 11 o'clock at night trying to get things buttoned up and you know I know Thursdays for them were there they literally would be there for hours going through um game footage and the intensity that he would bring to try to get things right. He wanted things to be perfect. And and similar with, with Lawsy, I think he was determined to try to um to get things going the way they needed to to go. I think it's really hard for a football manager because I think you you're in a situation where you can sometimes um, show a lot of emotion, but then you'll still have people that will make some kind of judgment. You cannot show a lot of emotion and then be accused of not showing emotion. So there's, there's a judgment is always made on a coach. And I think what, what becomes hard for the supporters, they never truly get to fully understand the individual. And there's a lot of, especially in a club the size of Wednesday, there's so much going on around there. The rumour mill can start and then, sometimes there's a lot of misinformation that gets banded around that can then impact and, and, and affect the, the locker room and affect the, the coaching staff because everyone's so passionate about trying to, um, to bring success, especially when you look at the history of Wednesday where it's, it's had previous such success and, and everyone's craving it. You know? Absolutely. Go on, Simon. Oh, sorry, it's Ben's turn, isn't it? Sorry, I'm, going, I'm trying to go around the room. I'm losing notes here. Go on, Ben. <laughs> He's doing his own work. No, I'd just like to tap into like a couple of the players that were there at the same time as you at Wednesday now. And I mean, for me, it was sort of the first time I were really going regular season ticket and stuff like that, sort of 2008-9 season. And obviously that midfield that we had of you and Sean McAllister, like two mm. real, two real bastards. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's a good lad, Sean. I, <laughs> I enjoyed playing with him. I mean, he was uh, diminutive, but um, heart, big heart and, you know, wanted to, uh, tried to impose himself on the game. And we used to joke, I mean, there was basically two little rats running in there trying to, to get after people. And, you know, you want to fight, well, we'll do our best and we'll we'll give you give you a good scrap. You know, I mean, that's that's was the modus operandi and then try to give it to, to JJ or to, to one of the lads that could really impact the game. That was the, the biggest thing for us. Go on, Si. Um, we've spoken about obviously the, the highs of doing the double over United. One one I was going to ask you about is is the relegation. I um, know, uh, sorry guys, uh, against um, Palace and, and and that game um, where I think we went one nil up and Leon Clark, Clark kicked the kicked the boardings and then 
the rest is history. I, I, I've seen a few relegations um, over the, over the years, but that one really, really stuck in my throat. It wasn't the greatest games. Oh, yeah. uh, honestly, Jesus, even now, I mean, God Almighty, many years ago was that. that it, honestly, that that still pains me now. And genuinely, that fucking game, I mean, excuse my language, but like that's, it's impossible to describe the feeling of, of that game, really. I mean, it's just even all these years after, it's just, um, yeah, that, that gets me bitter real quick. Um, the, just, uh, there was, the whole experience. Do you remember the last 10 minutes of that game? Because what it was, Palace, Palace had a point on us, didn't they? So they had the draw. So they could win or draw, and we only were allowed to win. I remember that last 10 minutes, I was sat right at the back of the cup. And at the time, I was living in Croydon, which is, to, yeah, to coin their phrase, yeah, yeah, Crystal Palace's yeah. yard. And yeah, I was, yeah. uh, and I went up on, the, on, on this coach surrounded by these bloody fans. And uh, I was meant to go back that night, and I bottled it. I went, nope, I'll get the train <laughs> tomorrow and stay at my mum's. But <laughs> I, yeah, do, you remember that? do you remember that last... Um, that last 10 minutes, I remember thinking, we're going to do this. We're go- we were absolutely I remember, knocking on the door. I and, remember and- Lee Grant coming up for a corner at last minute. Mm. And then, we, I mean, was that, were you in charge of marking Darren Ambrose? Eddie? Was he was he that good? I mean, Christ, he, I, he, he, he had a good he, he season, did. didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. And he had a great year that year. I mean, they were, they were effective. I mean, there was, I actually got, I remember it was Sean Derry. I got split. Um, I needed some stitches. Um, in the game, but I, I remember that the, just the the, the build-up to the game, the importance of the game, and candidly the frustrations that we were even in that situation to you know that we hadn't been able to get ourselves out of it. Um, so it came down to one game, and we were we were fortunate because they got um, the points deduction, which landed them in in the sort of the final game and, and mm-hmm. made it. So it, it was another opportunity for us to to you know to get it done. Um, but yeah, the the pain of that is something that um, you know I would like to say even now it's uh, it's forgotten about. But I'd be completely lying. It's uh, yeah. Sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> we've had a. Uh, we, I must admit, we've had a couple of comments on on Facebook now from John and from Vic and from Stan, all saying it's actually nice. In a, in a weird macabre way, it's nice that it's still a, an old wound for you. To be fair, James, like you yeah. know what I mean. It, it, you know, it's kind of it makes it makes you feel like you're part of it. Because like I said, you went through. Every emotion as a Sheffield Wednesday player, you went through oh, absolutely. absolutely everything. Like we we moved across, so we were we were in Warrington. So when we we first moved to Burnley, we moved halfway between because my wife's family are from Stoke, so it was halfway there. And then we moved to Sheffield, so then we moved across. So we, we were living there. We were living in Sheffield, and you know we enjoyed living there. We enjoyed the people, um, loved the club, loved the supporters. Um, so it was painful. Like it was it was that was a really painful experience to to go through that. I mean, it, it, when you're as passionate about um, winning and passionate about, um, you know, performing and, you know, everybody in Sheffield Wednesday is so determined, like their, their lives revolve around the club. So to, to be involved in a scenario where you're, it almost felt like you're bringing shame on the club was um, was painful. Absolutely. I mean, even all these years on, to, even talking about us, you know, it, it makes you want to, to try to go back and, and try to, to change things. But um, yeah, it was it was a really, you know, not, not a pleasant experience. It's, it's just, it's just I've just remembered something now and I won't stay on this for much longer because obviously we don't want to talk about it for much longer. But <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Was it? I think it was you, James. Were you off the pitch when Alan Lee scored their first goal? Get having stitches or something? You'd gone off injured or something? Something happened. I, I, yeah. I got. I know. I got. I, I got spit. And I needed stitches. And I can't remember whether they were able to get it sorted. I think I got the stitches at half time. I can't remember, but it was. I remember thinking to myself, going after Sean Derry because I used to have plenty of battles with him. And I remember thinking, right, you know, there's there's two scores we need to settle here. One against Sean, and then we need to win the game. You know, so yeah, I've never actually settled that score because yeah, we never got him again. But yeah, it's incredible. But again, he was he was a competitor. I mean, he was um, he was you know someone again. He he wanted to to win, but it was um, yeah, it was not a not a nice experience. That's for sure. Uh, well, then he went on to he went on to be a, a bit of a bladesman, didn't he? So sod Sean Derry. Let's move on to yeah. something a bit more fun. I tell you what, then. So um, I, I want to know about some of the players you played with. I mean, you know, you, you stayed with us. I mean, and you've played with some absolute dross. Which we'll, we'll not get into that. But I want to hear about the great players. I want to hear about the characters around the uh, around the dressing room. You, Gary Medines. I mean, Jermaine Johnson. Did anything get get up yeah. his nose? You know, I mean, was it that chill out all the time? I still laugh at JJ. I remember we were playing in a, uh, I think it was a cup game up in Carlisle. And um, I'll never forget it. it. He had tights on. And I'm thinking to myself, surely he's not wearing the tights. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking to myself, okay, I get it's cold, but I mean, like, come on. And literally, he went out, he started warming up in the, in the tights. And I remember saying to him, JJ, like, I've no problem you wearing tights in, in the warm up. But when we come out here to play, they better be off. You know, and uh, like I'm looking at that thing myself. Like, if you're playing against somebody who's wearing tights straight away, you think you make a judgment and you think, okay, this guy doesn't fancy it. Do you know what I mean? So, we get into the locker room, and, and to be fair, there was a couple of the lads I remember what were saying it, but JJ was determined to wear the tights. You know, I've never forgotten it. You know, I mean, great <laughs> lad, uh, Jamaican, and didn't really didn't like the cold, but I'm looking at that and thinking to myself, my God, you know, we've got one of our fellow players rolling out here in a pair of tights. I mean, yeah. Oh, incredible. <laughs> nice lad, but different different mentality, you know. I can imagine. I mean, so I mean there's one here we've got a comment here from Stan saying what's the highest row that you saw JJ hit? I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's what JJ was like. He would beat three Absolutely. players, cut inside, and then spoon one like a rugby conversion, right? Absolutely. He was so unpredictable where basically they go from, you know, he'd he could hit it in the top corner, but you know, there wasn't enough consistency, you know, so we used to joke and and say to him, you know, JJ, just be careful because, you know, you're hitting that many people behind the stands. It's the idea is to get it in the net, you know. Um, I mean, he he was so unpredictable. I mean, he could, he literally could take the ball from from our 18 and go right the way up the field. And and some days, like, immense power and it flies in and you're like, well, what a goal. But he could also go the other way and he could nearly kill someone in the back of the stand, you know. So great, tell, tell us about the changing rooms then. There must have been some shenanigans kick off in there or, or the nights out. Where did you go? What did you get up to? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there was a really solid a solid group. I mean, you, you had players like um, Tuggy. Tuggy was a good lad. Uh, Granty. I mean, Gary Medine was at a stage in his life where I think he was still your learning, um, you know, still very raw. Um, you know, you could see talented player, good hold up play. Had a little bit of history um, before that, and I think for him, I think he he was still going through a, a phase in his life where he was still trying to to mature a little bit, you know. Um, but lovely, lovely fellow with good intentions. But yeah, on a night out, he, he 
yeah, he would certainly be lively, you know. Um, and I think there's you, you have somebody like Granty, who obviously was a phenomenal trainer, phenomenal character, great goalkeeper, and you know, managed to actually get the breakthrough really at the top level, really toward the end of his career. You know, had had worked really hard and then just ended up getting a wonderful opportunity, uh, probably from wasn't expecting it. And then, you know, you, you go on and you see the level he's been able to to stay at and, you know, more from a character and an attitude perspective. And I think he's he's probably a great example to all the younger players that are coming through now is that, you know, the mentality, the attitude and the character piece, you know, can get you a long, long way in the game. I think you've, you've certain players and, and JJ was a good example, really. When you, you look at the talent that he had, if he had actually applied himself and had a better attitude, I think he could have gone on and, and done some really great things. Um, but I think a lot of that then goes into, unfortunately for him, the, the surroundings that he grew up in and it was, it was a really tough upbringing. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, you look at life and you look at the, there's, there's so many sort of different layers to it and how it can impact people's mentality, focus, attitude, that then ultimately affects performance. And, Again, um, for some of the boys, I think uh, there was certainly some challenges with, with a lot of that. Go on, sir. So um, when Alan Irvin was sacked and Gary Megson came in, obviously you'd had a lot of experience with Gary. Did you sort of say to the other lads who'd never sort of trained and worked with him before, say, now you're going to have to work hard, now you're going to have to... Because <laughs> we've... I, I've... Um, my, I've uh, my son um, plays football, gets trained by Miguel Liera, who obviously came into Wednesday. Did he come in after you'd left, James, or did he come in yeah, just, just after you'd just, left? Just after, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I remember talk, we, we spoke to him. In fact, he was probably one of the first players we interviewed, wasn't it, about this time last year? Sean McAllister was the first, that Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, he was saying when, when um, Gary came in, the, the beasting they got physically. I mean, did you, did, you would have known about all this because obviously as a kid. Oh, yeah. And for that initial phase, I mean, I think, you know, there was a lot of questions around, well, what's he going to be like? And, you know, the, um, I would say the, the understanding that now all of a sudden things are going to change and so much as the training is going to be a lot longer, harder you're going to do. I mean, he, the, what's the woods up there called? The woods Grenicide. around Grenicide, yeah. yeah, we we were up there. Yeah, we, we did some runs around there, and of course, I was I was used to it because I'd gone through that at West Brom and and Stoke to some extent. So um, I think the thing with a lot of the um, the players, and especially with Gary, was I think the the understanding of the importance of performance. And then preparation. And I think people, you know, even now as you, you, you get older and you, you go into coaching, you know, when you're leading people, people will buy in um, as long as you can explain it. And they see the rewards. And I think with Gary, it was very much a case of, look, you know, every Saturday we want to make sure that we outwork the opponent. You know, we're, we're tactically going to do certain things. But first and foremost, we want to make sure that everyone sees how hard we're working to to ensure the supporters at least see that the team is is really putting a shift in. And I think, you know, that's probably the, the biggest thing with the Wednesdayites. They, they demand is effort, you know. And I think if they see that, then they're, they're willing to give you a little bit of time to, to go on and, and hopefully show a little bit of quality. But uh, I think that bit certainly with Gary and for the supporters was, was non-negotiable, you know. I'm going to ask you about uh, a goal he scored. I um, I messaged a few of my friends that you know that remember you playing for Sheffield Wednesday, and um, and there was one goal that that was hotly contested by the Geordies, 
And personally, I didn't see out wrong with it. Did, did you ever get really annoyed that people kept calling that goal controversial? Uh, it was, yeah. what was it? It was a draw, wasn't it? Was that the equaliser, that one? Boxing Day. Yeah, it was Boxing Day, yeah. Sean McCauley was the, the caretaker. Yeah, I remember it really well. Um, yeah, I mean, again, that was a, um, I mean, a good game for us, but again, we should have won. Um, you know, I can remember that. So I remember the, uh, the equaliser and then the, um, was a van scored. I remember I actually it was a short corner that we'd walked on. Sean had set it up and we flipped it in and, and we scored as well. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, you you smile at the when people say it was a controversial goal. For me, I didn't really care about any of that. It was just it was like okay, you know, it's a goal. Can we get the winner? You know, I think that's the the biggest thing for us was, you know, at that point trying to. Um, and I always remember Sean. He'd actually put together like a, a points per game ratio and everything like that. He'd, he'd put like a good little report together for us to to try to actually. Um, to buy into and, and really try to get after it. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was an interesting game because you got Kevin Nolan and a few of the other lads there. They're like decent, um, great competitors and, and good games. Christmas time, Boxing Day, and you know, great, great atmosphere, great environment for us to, to be actually playing games in, you know. Tell you what, it's, it's a crap away day, but it's a great away day because one, you're in Newcastle, you get out on the tone and all the rest of it. Yeah. But yeah. on the other hand, You've got to get up those bloody stairs, which is which is horrible. It's yeah. horrible. <laughs> yeah. on, I mean, it's you're that high up and that stand as well. I mean, that's they've got it short of sticking the, the away fans on the roof. I mean, they, they couldn't stick them any higher up there. You know. That's yeah, I know. Well, I, I remember both games against Newcastle that season. I think we were, we were in, unlucky in both. I think the away one. Yeah, absolutely, we should have won both games. Eh? I can yeah. remember that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's. It's games like that that you get to the end of the season and you're like, that's where we should have won. You know, we needed to win. It's games like that then that catch you, you know, because, you know, you, you get, it comes down to that last game and we couldn't quite get it over the line. But there's, there's games that you look back on um, that you think, you know, we needed to, to get more out of them games. You know? There's another thing I remember, and you'll probably remember this, James. I think it, and I think it was against Brentford. An overhead kick at Hillsborough against Brentford. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I do. I, I do. I, um, the keeper saved it, I remember. Yeah. It bloody hell. The one time I actually catch it well. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I thought it was like, uh, I can still remember the shock of the whole of Hillsborough, to be honest with you. They were like, bloody hell, how did he do that? <laughs> I would tell you. I would tell you. It's fucking my mind. <laughs> yeah, I, love, I love that you remembered it. Okay, so James, I, I, know, I know you're short of time, so I'm going to have to wrap this up in about five minutes' time. But uh, we, you know, we, we used to ask these of our guests, and we seem to have stopped. So I'm going I'm to start again. So I want to know, just, just some quick-fire ones, like who was the most technically gifted player? That, that, that was at Sheffield Wednesday that, when you were there? Uh, technically gifted. Darren Potter, probably. He had uh, he had decent technique. I know he had up and down relationship, but his technique was, was solid. His delivery was pretty consistent, you know. Um, mm. All right. Who had the best banter? Yeah, Mickey Gregg. <laughs> Mickey Gregg. Oh, yeah. I think somebody else said Mickey Gregg. Yeah, he's well, a good actually. lad, Mick. I mean, he used to take the piss out of me as well, but I used to, I used to like him. Good, <laughs> good lad. I have time for Mickey. I mean, he was, uh, he's, he's good banter. Yeah. Who uh, who had the worst dress sense? Worst dress sense. Because um, bear in mind, it was it was a hell of a time uh, back back then yeah. as well. What was it? Late late two thousand 
turn oh, of yeah. naughty. So yeah. we're talking yeah. uh, shirts with text on it that look like a can of Relentless. Uh, boot oh, cut yeah. jeans were still in. You know what I mean? We've yeah. all seen that picture of Rio Ferdinand and Rooney and Skulls walking through town. We've all seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There must have been somebody dressed like an absolute clown. Yeah, there's, uh, the lads would have said uh, Frankie. Um, yeah, do you know what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think you're about the fourth person to say Frankie yeah. Simek. Not because yeah. it was outlandish, but because he was dressed <laughs> like it was 1994. Yeah. <laughs> the, lads, uh, the lads used to give him awful stick, yeah. I was talking Frankie. I mean, they were probably right. Took him back as well. But, uh, Frankie um, stick. Best gaffer you played for? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, You're allowed to give us a diplomatic answer if you want. You know, you could say, you know, Alan for this, Brian for that, you know. I used to take notes. So even because I always wanted to go into coaching. So I would always take notes on on all the the managers um, going back to to my career because it was something I obviously wanted to get into. So the detail that Alan had was, was, was really, really good. The passion that Gary had, the intensity that he brought, um, and his understanding of the opponent was was very good. And Lazi was a bit of a mix, to be honest with you. He had a, a quiet mannerism of of delivering his message. Um, and I, I think, you know, for me, there, there was a lot on the detail that Alan went into. Um, and I'd, I understood Gary better. Gary, from a personality, was probably more like me, very, very, very intense. And Lazi was was almost a, a, a lesser blend. I don't mean lesser in a negative way, but like he he would hide his emotions a little bit more and would be a little bit more discreet and um, not quite maybe uh, like quite like Alan. So yeah, they they all had different sort of strengths and weaknesses really. But I I would be was very keen to to learn and take as many notes as I could on on them all. You know? Okay. Okay, I'm just gonna make some notes. That I'm gonna. Uh, I'm, I'm, I tell you what it is. I'm gonna start looking for Frankie Simek pictures of him outside. Um, of the... I've not. I've not seen because he, he grew up in St. Louis, and so we're from St. Louis. We're four hours from here, so I've. I've. I mean, we're here now nearly ten years, and I've not. I've never come across Frankie since. So yeah, great lad, really great, like smashing player. But yeah, I can yeah, still but... see his jeans in his top. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever run into any of these players? Like, uh, you know, JJ went to go and play for Indy 11. Uh, Luke, Luke Bowden, Bods was out there, wasn't he? I, I, bet you've run, yeah. I bet you've run into him. Yeah, and I bumped into both. Saw JJ at the game, went up. We were, I was actually watching the game and then saw him warming up. So I had to go over and take the piss a little bit. But uh, good lad. Yeah, good lad. And then Bods, I, I've seen regularly because obviously in Orlando, um, played with Bods for a little bit in Orlando again. And then... Um, Managed to see him then again when we were back there. So good, good lad. And his dad, Bod's dad, uh, comes over pretty regularly. Great lad. So I've I've met him a couple of times as well. So good, good, solid lads. But you you always do, you know. I think you always want to try to to keep in touch and you know make sure everyone is is ticking along. Go on then, Simon. Take us out. Give us one last one. I was I was going to ask you now to where you are now, and and it did did intrigue me, and it has intrigued me the number of Wednesday players who are now in the states, and we've we spoken to a few guys now who are in the states. What was the draw over there for you, James? You know, obviously you've you all the way through this. You said about your end goal was to become a coach. Um, can you see America being a real force in the next few years with the investment you've told us about earlier and stuff? Do you see that's yeah, the way I mean, it's 
yeah, I, d- I think for me, the, the opportunity to, um, to finish playing and to get into the coaching side here because of the expansion that was happening. Um, I think when you look at the growth, I mean, you know, as I say, we've got a $75 million stadium, $15 million training complex. So there's, there's teams that are starting to really um, sort of kick things on. And, and the game is certainly is becoming, um, I would say, a, a lot more... Um, Productive, you know the, the 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 standards that a young American player five seven years ago was very athletic, but perhaps didn't have enough game understanding. I think they've made great uh, strides with that. Um, you'll see now even with the national team, there's there's good understanding of role responsibility. There's much better tactical understanding, and they also have the athleticism that goes alongside it. I mean, there's there's a number of American players who've gone across and have played. And are playing at the highest level in the Champions League. So um, you know, you look at whether it's Pulisic or um, Reynolds, who's gone over to Roma, Alfonso Davies, who's the Canadian, who was at Vancouver. So there's McKenney up at, um, at Juventus. So there's a number of players now that have have left America and are starting to really impact the big European stage. And I, I only think it's still be more and more to be honest with you, because you can see the the evolution of the game here. Yeah, the uh, the interesting thing that's obviously in the news right now is Megan Rapinoe talking about um, the, the the differential pay gap. And, you know, there's a lot of gammon that you see on social media talk about, well, bloody hell, the, you know, the bench game brings in more money. But over there, it's different in the States. And what she's talking about predominantly is obviously the international side of it. She's looking for uh, equal pay for women who are scoring goals for their country being paid by the USA Soccer Federation. Is that correct? Have I got that right? It's not a club-level issue yeah, she's is. got. I, I think there's, again, I don't want to speak for her, but yeah, I think basically she's making reference to the fact that, like on the women's team, and the, the US women's team, they've obviously won you know, World Cups back-to-back. They've had the incredible, like, um, I would say, legacy. You know, So I think the, uh, the point... Um, that a lot, not just Megan, are, are, are the equality piece, the pay piece, the pay scale. So there's, there's a big topic of conversation over here around that, you know, and I know mm-hmm. um, she's been one of the big advocates for that, you know. So it's it's, it's different here in so much as the, um, I would say, you, you have a lot of people that perhaps back in, in the UK don't fully understand um, the way things are here. Culturally, there's a lot, and that's what, even for some of the guys that I've, I've spoke to who've considered coming over, I've said, well, you need to come over because culturally you, you need to spend some time understanding the difference between culture, the difference between mentality. And, and I'm not talking female to male. I'm talking just in general terms. You know, if you're, if you're looking to go into coaching or management, you need, to, you need to be able to relate to players and you need to be able to deliver messaging, which then means you need to understand them, you know. So, um, yeah, lots of, lots of topics of conversation. Sorry, I put you on the spot there a bit, didn't I? (laughs) Talking politics. But but listen, James, thank you so much for joining us. Just before I go, Darren Purse, Gary Medine, who would win in a fight? Yeah, I know, isn't it? I I, I, I have nightmares about it. Yeah, uh, great lads. I mean, Purse was solid, strong, um, you know, uh, 
Gary's well younger. Um, yeah, well, if you can ever, if you can ever get that up, I'll, I'll pay a couple of quid to come and watch that one. So yeah, <laughs> plain bears on me. Listen, thanks a lot, James, for joining us. I uh, listen. Thanks a lot for uh, for listening. If you are watching out in out there in Facebook land, uh, join us next time. Uh, we've had some great comments, by the way, James, uh, on Facebook. People like uh, Stan and John and, and and Vic's been watching as well, talking about how much you know uh, how much. It, Sheffield Wednesday means to you. It's really nice to. Uh, it's really nice to hear, especially someone whose um, whose career has moved into a different continent and different country. It's been a it's been a wonderful interview. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Join us next time. Thanks a lot for watching us on the Wednesday week. The Wednesday week is sponsored by Michael Constantine Wealth Management. We bet you can't find a financial advisor closer to Hillsborough Stadium. It's the ninetieth minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget chair boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh. Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.